So hello, everybody. Welcome to this talk sponsored by the Institute of World Politics. Uh, for those of you uh, who are new here, IWP is a graduate school of national security, intelligence, and international affairs. We offer a doctoral program, seven master's degree programs, including two that are online, and 18 certificates of graduate study. If you are interested in learning more about us, please feel free to speak to one of our staff uh, at the conclusion. Uh, but as this is an online uh, event, feel free to uh, put it in the chat function. Uh, to support the work of IWP, please visit iwp.edu slash donate. Today we'll be hearing from Dr. Norman Bailey, who will discuss the Abraham Accords, what, what, excuse me, the Abraham Accords, what do they mean for MENA? This lecture is part of a series on the MENA region, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Dr. Norman Bailey is an adjunct professor of economics and national security at IWP and a professor of economic statecraft at the Galilee International Management Institute. Dr. Bailey was a senior staff member of the National Security Council during the Reagan administration and of the Office of the Director of National Intelligence during the George W. Bush administration. Uh, please help me welcome Dr. Bailey. Thank you very much, Sean, and uh, good morning, everyone. This is the second in our uh, monthly lecture series on the MENA region, Middle East, North Africa. Uh, last month, uh, we discussed the MENA region itself to give the appropriate background. Um, the, the Middle East, North Africa region consists of 20 countries from Morocco in the west to Iran in the east. And it is predominantly Arab, uh, with uh, the major exceptions being uh, uh, Turkey, uh, Iran, which is about 50% uh, Persian, ethnic Persian, and the Israel, which is 80% uh, uh, Jewish. Uh, and it is uh, predominantly Muslim, uh, with the only exceptions being um, the approximately 10 million uh, Coptic Christians in, in Egypt and the uh, 7 million uh, Jews in uh, Israel. Uh, other non-Arab peoples uh, are uh, the, uh, without a, a country of their own, are the Berbers of North Africa and the Kurds of Iran, Iraq, uh, Syria, and um, other parts of the, of the Middle East. Uh, the, Muslim countries are divided into the Sunni Muslim and the Shia Muslim. Uh, the Shia Muslim are concentrated in uh, Iran, Iraq, um, and uh, Syria, and Lebanon. Uh, the rest of the uh, MENA region is uh, predominantly Sunni Muslim. Uh, today, we're our main topic is going to be uh, the Abraham Accords. Uh -huh. I, subtitled the whole series last month as uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, the uh, Abraham Accords are, under, are one of the few good elements of what's going on in the Middle East. And we will devote most of our attention today to the Abraham Accords. Um, however, uh, one uh, feature of these uh, monthly talks is going to be whatever special in the MENA region between the last talk and, and the current talk. Uh, and in this particular case, uh, a lot of ink has been spilled over the uh, elections in Lebanon, uh, which I could uh, subtitle as much ado about very little. Uh, there's uh, the 
so-called commentators have uh, spent a lot of time talking about uh, the defeat of Hezbollah, uh, that uh, uh, the enemies of, of Hezbollah uh, uh, won the elections. This is absolute nonsense. Uh, the Hezbollah and its allies still uh, have maintained a, um, a majority in the Lebanese legislature and elected uh, the Amal representative, which is the major Shia party allied with uh, Hezbollah, which is of course a terrorist organization, uh, which uh, really controls Lebanon and has for some time, uh, was uh, reelected as, uh, as uh, uh, speaker of the legislature. Uh, it's true that the anti-Hezbollah Christian party gained a, a few seats, the pro-Hezbollah Christian party lost a few seats and some independents who are independent of, of Hezbollah were elected to the legislature. Nevertheless, uh, the National Assembly is still controlled by Hezbollah. And in any case, it doesn't really make any difference because uh, the state in Lebanon is an empty shell. Uh, the legislature and the executive control very little, if anything, uh, the national armed forces are helpless uh, against Hezbollah. Hezbollah is much larger and better equipped and, uh, than the Lebanese armed forces. Uh, and uh, it doesn't really matter who has the votes. Hezbollah has the bullets. And that's, that's what's important. So uh, the Lebanese elections, uh, it was uh, fairly one of the more interesting aspects of the elections is that they actually took place and were apparently fairly honest, um, but they mean really practically nothing. Uh, at this point, Sean, let me uh, pause. And uh, before we go on to the, our main topic today, ask if there are any questions with reference to uh, the Lebanese situation. As of right now, Mr. Bailey doesn't look like we have any questions uh, either on the Zoom or on uh, Facebook right now. So I think we are good to continue. There, there is a uh, there's oh, one that just came up. Just came up. Uh, is Amal still designated as a terror terrorist organization? No, Amal was never designated as a terrorist organization. Amal is simply the major Shia political party in Lebanon. Hezbollah, of course, is designated a terrorist organization by many countries around the world. And just double questions? check the uh, Facebook group and it, or Facebook live stream, and it looks like we still don't have any questions on there. Okay. So if there are no other questions in the Zoom chat, I think we are good to continue. Okay. Um, if anybody has any questions about the Lebanese situation, I can also address them at the end of the, of the talk. Okay, let's move on to our main topic today, which is the Abraham Accords, which I can subtitle Much Ado About a Great Deal. Uh, this, uh, the Abraham Accords um, started to take place in uh, the, the latter part of last year. Uh, and um, have uh, developed uh, very, very rapidly. Um, Israel has, for many years, 
had regular diplomatic relations with two of the Arab countries, Egypt and Jordan. This, however, has been a very, what one might refer to as a very cold peace. Uh, there has never been any particular cordiality or any uh, large number of uh, uh, travel in between and cultural interchange, social interchange, and so on and so forth. Uh, it's been a, a very cold peace. Uh, and the previous government in Israel um, decided to work upon a, the uh, contacts that Israel had been having uh, sub rosa uh, with uh, many, several of the Gulf states, as well as with Morocco, over uh, a substantial period of time, mostly having to do uh, with uh, uh, security. Uh, defense and security issues. Uh, that these contacts have been taking place over a long period of time and uh, mostly uh, were the result of the um, Iranian situation and the threat that the Gulf states, uh, uh, which of course included Saudi Arabia as well as the, the other, the smaller Gulf states, uh, feel with reference to the Iranian threat. Uh, Towards the end of last year, um, I'm sorry, of uh, the year before last, uh, the, um, the uh, Israelis and the, uh, the, the authorities of, uh, of several of the, of the Arab countries uh, began to make these contacts public and then started having meetings, public meetings, and having um, also uh, 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 agreements uh, reached and so on. As of right now, there are, then these, these became to be called the Abraham Accords. Uh, and uh, because Abraham is supposedly the uh, progenitor of uh, both uh, the Jews and, uh, and the Arabs. Uh, in any case, um, at, as of this point, uh, the, the countries that are involved with the Abraham Accords uh, are um, uh, Bahrain and the United Arab Emirates in the Arabian Peninsula and Morocco in the far west of the North African region. Uh, Sudan also entered the uh, Abraham Accords. Uh, but that has been uh, suspended as a result of the coup d'etat that took place uh, some time ago. Uh, at any rate, these accords very rapidly became effective. Uh, there is now a very great deal of travel uh, between Israel and the UAE and Bahrain and, uh, and Morocco. Uh, Agreements have been reached and signed in the commercial areas, in cultural and social areas, and in the case of Morocco, even in the defense area, which is uh, extremely important. The UAE and um, uh, Israel have also signed a free trade agreement. This is extremely significant. The most significant thing that's going on right now, however, is the uh, various indications that uh, the uh, Saudi Arabia, which is uh, undoubtedly the uh, 
80-ton uh, elephant in the, uh, uh, the region, uh, is moving towards um, uh, having an agreement uh, with um, uh, an Abraham Accords agreement uh, with, with Israel. Uh, just in the last few weeks, the following things have happened. Israelis can now obtain a visa and visit Saudi Arabia with an Israeli passport. Until now, in order to, for an Israeli to visit uh, Saudi Arabia, they had to, the Israeli had to have a foreign passport, an American passport, a British passport, whatever. Uh, secondly, private deals between Saudi and Israeli companies uh, amounting to tens of millions of dollars have been signed on water management, agricultural technology, and medical technology. Thirdly, there has been the sale of several Israeli security systems to Saudi Arabia. Fourthly, Saudi Arabia is funding to the, uh, to the extent of $2 billion a, an investment fund set up by uh, Jared Kirshner, um, Donald Trump's uh, son-in-law, to invest in Israeli projects. And the funding came through the Saudi Public Investment Fund, which is the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund, and thus obviously has to have had the approval of the Saudi government and specifically with Mohammed bin Sultan, which, who is the crown prince of uh, Saudi Arabia and who really runs the country. Fifthly, there is an upcoming, quote, semi-official, unquote, meeting uh, scheduled to sign agreements on aviation, research and technology in medicine, agriculture, water, and energy. What does semi-official mean? Uh, I've asked several people in the, the Israeli government what they mean by that. And the answer was that the, the Israeli participants are going to be participating in their, quote, personal capacities, unquote, other than as officials. Okay, if everybody's uh, comfortable with this uh, uh, obviously uh, uh, phony uh, situation, that's perfectly okay with me. Finally, uh, and this uh, took place um, among other things because of the, the very enthusiastic cooperation with the Abraham Accord countries, as well as encouragement by the US uh, the transfer of islands in the Red Sea. These are uh, tiny uninhabited islands that are, are claimed by both Egypt and Saudi Arabia and, uh, to, and to be transferred from Egypt to Saudi Arabia. All of this taking place within the last few weeks gives the very strong impression that uh, the Saudis are very likely to be joining the Abraham Accords in the fairly near future. Uh, they, um, uh, it was expected uh, by many commentators on uh, uh, the Middle East uh, that uh, Mohammed bin Sultan was was waiting for his father, the king, uh, to pass away before they would actually uh, join the Abraham Accords. 
but this may no longer be the case. Uh, he may have decided that he's gonna go ahead and do it anyway. Uh, the importance of this cannot be overstated. Uh, the adherence of Saudi Arabia to the Abraham Accords outweighs in importance all the rest of the Abraham Accord countries put together um, uh, of the Arab participants. <clears throat> the two most important Arab countries in the entire MENA region are without any doubt Egypt, because of its very large population, and Saudi Arabia, because of its location and the fact that the holy places of Islam are in Saudi Arabia. In fact, the official title of the king of Saudi Arabia is not king, it's guardian of the two holy places, uh, Mecca and Medina. What does this mean as far as the geopolitical situation in the Middle East and North Africa is concerned? Okay. You now have two blocks in formation and they are directly confronting each other. One is the Shia Muslim bloc led by Iran and its uh, dictatorial the uh, uh, theocratic government on, with great influence in Iraq uh, and in, in Syria and Lebanon and, con and controlling two of the principal uh, terrorist groups in the Middle East, uh, Hezbollah in Lebanon and Hamas in the Gaza Strip, um, as well as Islamic Jihad, which is a, a third uh, terrorist organization and, and, and so on. That and, and we'll come back to this, and in Yemen, uh, where the Houthis uh, who are controlled by Iran uh, are in control of a great uh, portion of the country. Now, we'll come back to this because it's very important. That's Iran and its allies, or what's sometimes called the, the, the Northern Arc, is one side of the geopolitical situation. The other side of the, the situation is now Israel, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, um, and um, uh, the United Arab Emirates. Uh, Morocco, of course, is way off in the West, and uh, that's a different uh, uh, political, uh, geopolitical situation, which we will discuss in, in future talks. On the other side, the importance of Yemen is that this is a an Iranian proxy, an Iranian ally that is behind the Israel-Sunni bloc. And that is a very important geopolitical and military fact. And uh, the, uh, uh, the, um, the Saudis and the uh, Emiratis have not succeeded in defeating the Houthis in, in Yemen, although they tried for a long time. Uh, and uh, that's a very serious threat. Uh, otherwise, uh, as we will see, uh, the momentum is on the Israeli-Egypt-Saudi side. Um, the following countries in 
the Middle East are on the fence in this geopolitical situation. Turkey, Jordan, Kuwait, Qatar, and Oman. In no particular order, Oman was uh, considered uh, at the beginning of the uh, Abraham Accord movement uh, that was going to be, it was considered that Oman was going to be one of the first countries to join the Abraham Accords. This has not happened. This is apparently due to the fact that the former sultan passed away and the new sultan is much less uh, pro rapprochement with Israel than the former sultan was. And of course, uh, Oman is, is on the um, borders on, uh, on uh, Iran for all practical purposes uh, in the Gulf. And it has to feel that it's careful in, 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 in uh, the, um, uh, its uh, foreign policy and its former activities and so on. Um, Qatar is a uh, Gulf Emirate. It is very different in its, uh, in its foreign policies from uh, the Emiratis and the Bahrainis. Uh, Qatar has for a long time been one of the principal supports of the terrorist organizations in, um, in the Middle East. It is also its um, um, propaganda tool, the Al Jazeera uh, uh, press agency uh, is, is one of the principal propaganda wings of the, of the extremist Muslim movements in, uh, in uh, the Sunni countries. Uh, it is generally a very bad actor it, however, also uh, hosts an American air base. And um, uh, President Biden, uh, in his infinite wisdom, um, de declared uh, Qatar to be a major non-NATO ally. Uh, this is, um, frankly, uh, ludicrous. But in any case, it has been happening. The other uh, Gulf states, uh, with the exception of Kuwait, um, and Oman um, tried to force a change of government in Qatar by cutting off economic relations, social relations, transportation, and, and so forth with Qatar uh, for a long period of time. It didn't work. The Qataris who are uh, in per capita terms, the wealthiest country in the world because of they have uh, enormous uh, gas uh, wealth, which they share with Iran, incidentally. Um, the, the gas field is, is owned jointly by Qatar and Iran, which is the major explanation for uh, the, um, uh, the highly uh, anti-Western, anti-US, uh, and anti-Israeli uh, policies of the Qatari government. It's a rather strange situation. Again, however, it can be explained in the same way that, that, that Oman can be explained in terms of hesitation to join uh, the Abraham Accords, and that is, uh, it, is, is it, it almost borders on Iran. It has to be very careful. Uh, and uh, it has uh, uh, traditionally been quite anti-Israeli. I mean, it's all of these countries were anti-Israeli for a very long period of time, um, but uh, Qatar was particularly strong along with Algeria and North Africa 
uh, in its anti-Israeli and anti-Semitic uh, um, foreign policies. Um, Jordan uh, is an interesting situation. It has uh, had diplomatic relations with uh, uh, Israel for a long time. It is has not, however, been enthusiastic supporter or a supporter of any kind of the Abraham Accords, unlike Egypt, which has uh, has adopted the Abraham Accords in a wholehearted fashion. Uh, the Jordanians have uh, kept hands off pretty pretty much. Um, they can't take an a, a, an openly anti-Israeli attitude um, because uh, they. They depend on Israel completely for electricity, water, and gas. Uh, so that uh, if the Israelis decided to cut off those three supplies, the uh, Iranian uh, economy would uh, collapse almost immediately. On the other hand, a majority of the population of Jordan are of Palestinian origin. This is a very important element uh, and, and explains a great deal about the hesitation of the Jordanians uh, to enthusiastically uh, endorse the Abraham uh, Accord movement and so on. And they're not going to. Um, they also um, are very strong supporters of the Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza, uh, despite the fact that this, of course, is a threat to, to Israel. Uh, Turkey. Uh, the Turkey, of course, is a, a uh, dictatorship um, posing as a democracy. Uh, President Erdogan is a is a dictator. Uh, he is a very unstable individual. Uh, he has run hot, hot and cold over just about everything in the Middle East. His relations with Iran, his relations with Israel, his relations with the Sunni countries. Uh, Right now, he's on a, uh, a uh, um, charm offensive uh, to try to build his, his um, relationships with the Sunni countries on the one hand and with Israel on the other hand. His problem, of course, is that nobody believes him. Uh, on the other hand, Turkey is a very important country in the Middle East. It is, it is the only country in the Middle East whose armed forces can, can, uh, can are comparable to those of Israel, uh, although it does not have um, uh, nuclear weapons, of course. And uh, the Israeli military dominance of the region is not only due to the fact that the Israeli armed forces are extremely well-equipped and, and well-trained and, and effective, but Israel is the only country in the whole MENA region that at this point has nuclear weapons. And that, of course, is uh, one of the important reasons why those countries which are scared of the Iranians are, uh, are embracing uh, the, uh, the Israelis. On the other hand, it is estimated that Israel probably has at this point something in the area of 90 uh, nuclear warheads, um, several of which are mounted on missiles carried by Israeli submarines, which are permanently in, in the Gulf. And this means that even if 
Iran does achieve the capability to produce uh, nuclear weapons. And incidentally, there's a great deal of misunderstanding about all of that. Uh, once they have the ability to produce nuclear weapons, it does not mean that they immediately have uh, nuclear warheads. I mean, that's, that's another technology which has to be uh, developed by them. Um, and that um, makes it the fact that the, the Israelis have nuclear weapons and they're mounted on, um, uh, some of them are mounted on uh, submarines in the Gulf means that it's highly unlikely, even if, Israel, if, if, uh, if uh, Iran were to develop uh, the uh, nuclear capacity and the ability to, to deliver the nuclear weapons, um, the, uh, that they would attack Israel openly uh, because they would know that Israel would uh, immediately respond uh, and uh, Iran would cease to exist as a uh, functioning entity. Um, other people are more realistic, are concerned about uh, Iran eventually uh, miniaturizing nuclear weapons. This takes time. This is not something that can be done overnight. It would take probably another two or maybe three years to develop miniaturization. This is after they already have the ability to deliver nuclear weapons. And um, uh, then, however, they could uh, supply their proxies, terrorist organizations such as uh, Hezbollah and Hamas, with uh, miniaturized nuclear weapons, and this would be a very serious threat to Israel as well as to the, the Sunni Arab countries in the region. Uh, this is far in the distance at this point. And let me make one other important military point that is overlooked in many of the analyses of the situation. Iran has supplied Hezbollah and Hamas with thousands of rockets and guided missiles. Now, Israel has been attacked by these rockets, both from Lebanon in the past, both from Lebanon and from the Gaza Strip. Israel has developed a very sophisticated and highly effective and efficient uh, missile defense system and rocket defense system, which consists of various levels of defense from uh, low-flying uh, missiles to high-flying rockets and in between uh, from the aero system and the iron dome system. Uh, and the problem, however, and, and in the past, they've been very effective uh, intercepting 90 plus percent of all the rockets uh, uh, sent from Lebanon and from Gaza. However, the, the thousands and thousands of rockets and missiles, including guided missiles, that have been supplied by Iran to Hezbollah, and, and not so much, but quite a lot, in the, also to Hamas and, and uh, uh, Islamic Jihad in, uh, in, uh, in Gaza, uh, mean that in future, 
uh, in a future war between Israel and one or both of these uh, um, terrorist organizations, they could fire hundreds and hundreds of rockets every day. And a, a missile defense system, which depends on an anti-missile missile to destroy a, a missile or a rocket, simply cannot deal with that kind of numbers. However, at this point, the, the, I'm uh, given to understand that the laser defense system, which Israel is developing, uh, has gone now past the, the testing period and is into the um, production period. And eventually, of course, it will be a deployment. Uh, a laser-based anti-missile system is an entirely different kettle of fish because one of these laser cannons can fire over and over and over again so that one of them can kill not one enemy missile or rocket, but many over a period of time. And if you have a dozen, two dozen, three dozen of these laser um, cannons on your side, they can handle hundreds of, of, uh, of missiles and rockets coming in. Uh, that uh, in terms of production and deployment, it probably will be another year, maybe two years, sometimes somewhere in between, uh, before they begin to be deployed uh, on the borders of, uh, of uh, Lebanon and, um, and uh, Gaza. Nevertheless, this will be an extremely significant development um, because many people believe, and I think correctly, that if the Iranian regime feels that it's under serious threat internally, and there are, there's a great deal of, of anti-regime sentiment in, in Iran, constant demonstrations. Some of them are ethnically based because about 50% of the population of Iran, and this is a fact that's not generally known, almost half the population of Iran is not ethnically Persian. They are Baluchis in the, uh, the southeast of the country, the Arabs in the southwest of the country, and in the northwest, Kurds and Azeris. None of these are ethnic Persian people. So there are anti-regime movements, particularly among the Kurds, the Arabs, and the Baluchis, not so much among the Azeris. But, uh, and, and a lot of it has to do with uh, the Persian population itself uh, because of the, the very, very bad economic situation of the country and the manifest incapacity of the um, Iranian government uh, to handle the economic situation of the country and, uh, and to provide its people uh, with, uh, with the necessary elements uh, for modern life. Uh, and so the feeling is among many people, and I think that this is a, it's a, a genuine uh, concern, 
that if the um, the uh, uh, theological uh, uh, dictatorship in in uh, Tehran feels it's under serious threat of being overthrown internally, uh, it may tell its proxies, Hezbollah and Hamas and Islamic Jihad, simultaneously to attack Israel and perhaps also uh, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, uh, the Gulf states, and, and so on. Uh, this, uh, uh, particularly from Yemen, which uh, the, um, uh, the Iranians have also been supplying rockets and missiles to, uh, to Yemen. Um, and if all this happens simultaneously, it would overwhelm the current uh, defensive capacity of Israel, not to mention the defensive capacity of the uh, Sunni Arab countries, which is uh, very, uh, very elementary at this point. Uh, nevertheless, once the laser systems are in place, this, uh, this will no longer be, be possible. Okay, let's um, uh, talk about uh, outside forces and uh, how they affect the Abraham Accords. Um, okay. Let's start with uh, China. Uh, the Chinese are penetrating uh, the Middle East and uh, North Africa and all the rest of Africa, all for that matter, uh, economically and socially and culturally. Uh, and they are also developing a series of bases. This is very significant. This is not only cultural and economic. It's also, to a certain extent, military. They have a base already, a naval base in Qatar, which is on the um, Indian Ocean coast of Pakistan. They have one in Djibouti at the entrance to the, uh, the Red Sea. And they're negotiating with the Sudanese to, uh, to develop another um, uh, naval base. Uh, Chinese warships in the recent years have entered the Mediterranean uh, for the first time in history. Um, and, and, and they haven't entered even uh, the uh, Indian Ocean and the, and the, um, the uh, Middle Eastern waters uh, since the Ming Dynasty. Uh, now the uh, Chinese uh, Navy is going all over the place. And uh, uh, they are demonstrating that they are a very major military power, as well as a very major economic. Uh, India, it has excellent relations with uh, the Sunni Muslim states and with Israel, uh, and uh, is a major um, purchaser of uh, the products of these countries, including oil and gas, as well as uh, technological goods from uh, from other production uh, from Israel and so on. Pakistan is an interesting situation. Pakistan is kind of in between South Asia and the Middle East. It is, of course, a Sunni Muslim country. It has very bad relations with India and has had from the very beginning. 
um, although it hasn't uh, it, it hasn't uh, broken out in, in open warfare for uh, for some decades now. Uh, and uh, Pakistan has been um, uh, antagonistic towards Israel uh, and basically cooperative with with Iran. With the new political situation in Pakistan, however, there is some expectation that Pakistan may um, attempt to improve its relations with the Sunni states and possibly even with Israel. We need to see what the situation is there. And let's not forget that Pakistan is a nuclear power. Um, Russia. The Russians, of course, have until recently, when they're now preoccupied for obvious reasons with the situation in Ukraine, have been extremely active for the last several years in the Middle East, North Africa region, the MENA region. Uh, they, for the first time, uh, Russia under Putin was able to realize the dream of, the, of, the, of Russia for centuries to establish a permanent presence in the Eastern Mediterranean. In, in other words, pass through the Black Sea, the Bosphorus, and so on into the Eastern Mediterranean. And they now have a naval base and an air base on the coast of Syria. And they were, and still are, uh, to a certain extent, a very significant factor in the Syrian situation. Uh, along with Iran, with Turkey, and with Israel. And the Israelis, uh, when, when um, Russia attacked Ukraine, the Israelis found themselves in a very, very difficult situation because they have a, 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 an agreement with the Russians that the Russians are not going to interfere when the Israelis attack Iranian installations in Syria. So they didn't want to, to, to uh, endanger that agreement with Russia by openly supporting Ukraine. On the other hand, of course, they're under great pressure to support Ukraine, um, not only from the standpoint of the refugee situation and humanitarian assistance, but from the standpoint of military assistance. They have resisted this. And although they 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 have uh, allowed many refugees into Israel and have provided a lot of humanitarian, including an entire hospital situation in Ukraine, they have uh, they have not the Israelis have not uh, agreed to uh, uh, supply Ukraine with uh, with uh, military assistance uh, for the reason that I, I just explained. Uh, so this is a very delicate situation and so on. Uh, Europe uh, is in a, even though it has developed greater unity as a result of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, uh, has uh, lost a great deal of the influence it once, once had, uh, particularly the French and the, uh, and the British, uh, once had in, in the Middle East. and. Um, were replaced primarily by the United States. And that brings us to the situation of the United States in the Middle East at the present time and also with the Abraham Accords. 
the Trump administration was very pro-Israeli and was very important in terms of encouraging the Gulf states, uh, Morocco, et cetera, to um, uh, enter into Abraham Accords with, with Israel. Uh, the Biden administration, luckily, has, in, in a somewhat more lukewarm fashion, um, uh, continued this, uh, this policy and is now uh, facilitating with the, the transfer of the islands uh, the adherence, uh, the, one hopes, uh, uh, adherence soon of Saudi Arabia to the Abraham Accords. Uh, so now besides that, the U.S. has lost a great deal of its, its once very powerful influence in the Middle East. One, ask, one reason for this is the disastrous um, uh, uh, evacuation of uh, Afghanistan um, and uh, a lot of the backing and forthing of the, particularly the Biden administration, uh, taking anti-Israeli attitudes and then pro-Israeli attitudes and, and um, anti-Saudi, uh, it started out being very anti-Saudi uh, because of the, uh, the assassination of, of um, the, the Saudi journalist in, in Istanbul uh, and uh, other uh, human rights violations by the Saudis, et cetera. Uh, and now is uh, uh, cozying up to the, uh, to the Saudis and, and uh, next month, uh, Biden is going to be uh, uh, visiting uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, but there's no doubt that that um, the once uh, very significant influence of the United States in the Middle East has been uh, greatly eroded, and uh, this, of course, uh, uh, is a very important uh, uh, geopolitical factor. Uh, right now, in conclusion, let me say that the moment, the momentum is on the Israeli, Egypt, Saudi side. And this is because uh, of the, the growing importance of the Abraham Accords. <clears throat> also because of the internal problems that the Iranians are having. And um, so that doesn't mean that that momentum is going to continue. It doesn't mean that it couldn't be reversed, uh, but right now it's looking good uh, for the uh, for the um, uh, the Abraham Accords uh, countries. Uh, one might call the Israeli Sunni arc in the south and um, in the west, with Egypt and eventually Morocco, uh, and uh, uh, against uh, the uh, Shia. Iranian-led uh, northern arc in uh, Iran, Iraq, Syria, and Lebanon. Okay, Sean, let me uh, stop at this point and, and take questions. Perfect, thank you. And we did have a couple questions come in, so I will uh, let you know them in the order they did. Uh, the first one is from Chris, and it's a two-parter regarding the anti-Israel legislation passed by the Iraqi parliament. Uh, the first part is how serious how seriously do you think the government of Iraq will enforce this new policy? And two, in light of the Abraham Accords, do you think this will lead to a certain degree of isolation and shunning of Iraq with the Gulf Cooperation Council? Okay, with reference to the first part of the question, uh, 
um, the question assumes there is something called the Iraqi government. Um, and uh, that, that that is a uh, an assumption that is questionable. Uh, the Iraqis haven't been able to make a government for a very long time, and now the exit of the uh, dele- the uh, very large delegation of uh, of uh, Muqtadr al al Sadr, uh, which is, who is a major Shia leader in in Iran, means that there's no chance of forming a government. Um, the um, the anti-Israeli um, resolution that was passed by the Iraqi government, what what exists of uh, the Iraqi government is of of very little importance and is not taken seriously anywhere uh, in the Middle East, either in Israel or by the Sunni countries. And um, uh, at, at at this point, Iraq is, uh, with the exception of the of the autonomous uh, Kurdish region in the north is for all practical purposes part of the Iranian Shia uh, arc in in, uh, the northern part of of the Middle East. Um, uh, Sorry, what's the second part of the question again? Uh, The second part of the question is, uh, in light of the Abraham Accords, do you think this will lead to a certain degree of isolation and shunning of Iraq within the Gulf Cooperation Council? Uh, that's already that's already in place, and and had with nothing having to do with the uh, with the uh, with the resolution, uh, the anti-Israeli resolution, um, because the, uh, the the Sunni countries of the Gulf and so on do not do not trust Iraq because uh, Iraq is a majority Shia country, and uh, this is. Uh, uh, very uh, uh, since the downfall of Saddam, uh, the the they have not uh, had any kind of important uh, uh, relations with uh, with the Iraqis. Next question. Uh, the next question comes from John. What effect has the Biden administration had on the Abraham Accords, specifically uh, in regards to warming up to Iran? Warming up to Iran? Yes, sir. Okay. Um, well, obviously, the uh, Abraham Accord countries are very much opposed to uh, the uh, desire of the uh, Biden administration to uh, bring the uh, the uh, so-called deal back into force. Uh, however, um, for various reasons, it it looks extremely unlikely at this point that that's going to happen. Uh, the Biden administration has changed its policies at this point. Uh, it, it was very much in favor of the Palestinians, in favor of making deals with Iran. It was kind of an Obama II administration in this respect. Uh, and it, it has now changed. And uh, uh, Biden's trip next month to Israel and to Saudi Arabia's is a prime indication of that, and its uh, support for the adherence of uh, the Saudis to the Abraham Accords is another indication. And of course, they pretty much abandoned. I mean, they're not going to admit it, but they pretty much abandoned any hope for uh, um, a uh, recreation of the so-called uh, Iranian deal. So one would say that that, that the that the 
that the, the Biden administration's uh, Middle Eastern policies have evolved substantially in favor of the Abraham Accord countries and, and Egypt also. Uh, the next question we have is from Sarah. Uh, why do you think Saudi Arabia began making their relationship with Israel, quote unquote, louder now during the Biden administration, especially as Biden continually criticizes uh, Mohammed bin Salman? Do you think that uh, he had to do, uh, Mohammed bin Salman had to do this with the Biden administration's position uh, that the Middle East is not as much as a priority for them? No, I think, well, this actually, I went, uh, went over this uh, during the, the talk. In, in some detail, um, the uh, the Biden administration, I think, has uh, decided now. One thing that has to be emphasized is the energy situation as a result of the Russian attack on on, on Ukraine. All of a sudden, um, the Biden administration has uh, realized that the United States, as well as the Europe, as the the Western countries in general are still dependent on uh, fossil fuels and that uh, wind and solar energy isn't going to be able uh, to, to take up the slack anytime in the, in the near future. Uh, and uh, consequently, they're cozying up to the, the countries that have uh, supplies of, of oil and gas and uh, trying to, uh, and then of course, one of the principal countries here uh, in that are the the, the Gulf states and Saudi Arabia uh, primarily. So one of the major uh, reasons for Biden's trip is to convince the Saudis that, that all is forgiven as far as the Khashoggi murder is concerned, uh, as long as they uh, increase their oil production uh, so much for uh, moral considerations, and human rights and so forth. When they clash with economic reality, Pretty much human rights go out the window. And the final question we have uh, that came in is from Dr. Williams. Uh, in light of at least a superficial rapprochement between Turkey and Israel, might Turkey be joining the Accords? Is Turkey what? Uh, joining the Abraham Accords or a, I'm guessing a- No, no, I don't think they'll be because uh, Israel and Turkey have had a diplomatic relations throughout this whole period, even though there have been periods when they didn't have a, an ambassador and so on, uh, they never uh, cut uh, diplomatic relations. Uh, so there's, it's, it's not the same kind of situation as with the, uh, the Gulf countries and Morocco, where, which never had diplomatic relations with, with Israel. Um, uh, the Turks are simply uh, for all kinds of different reasons, including that they're practically bankrupt, uh, that uh, they're cozying up not just to Israel, they're also cozying up uh, to the uh, Sunni Arab countries and particularly to Saudi Arabia um, uh, for uh, uh, all kinds of reasons, including um, they want the, the gas pipeline to go through Turkey on the, um, from Israel. Uh, Israel is going to be supplying a lot of gas to, to natural gas to uh, Europe, and they want the, the Turks want the pipeline to go through Turkey. Well, if they if they want the pipeline to go through Turkey, they have to be friendly with Israel and, and so on. 
they want uh, uh, financial support from Saudi Arabia and the Gulf states. Well, they can't be uh, hostile to Saudi Arabia and the Gulf, Gulf states and, and hope to get financial support. At this point, um, uh, the Israelis have uh, abandoned the original uh, uh, pipeline uh, uh, proposal, which was through Cyprus and Greece and into uh, Europe because uh, the United States withdrew support from the project. And now they're, they're um, depending uh, they, for the future on, on uh, a product, uh, conversion of the natural gas to LNG, either in Israel or in Egypt, which is offered to do so, and then shipping to Europe in the form of LNG. The Turks want a pipeline to go through Turkey. That's, that's their reason. I think we're pretty much uh, out of time. And I want to thank everybody for participating and um, for your excellent questions. Thank you, Dr. Bailey. And uh, just to second that, thank you to all of, uh, all of you guys who have joined us today. If you are interested in attending any other upcoming events, uh, making a gift to IWP or applying to one of our graduate programs, please feel free to visit iwp.edu uh, where you can find that information there. But thank you again, and I hope uh, everyone has a great day. And thank you, Dr. Bailey, for joining us today. Thank you.